This episode of Armchair Explorer is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. And epic journeys is what we're all about. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Hey guys, welcome to the Armchair Explorer, where the world's greatest adventurers tell their best story from the road. I'm Aaron Miller, I'm a travel writer, and this show is all about immersing you in adventures and the amazingness of this planet. Our guest today is someone very special. Ginny Reddy is one of the UK's top nature writers, and she really knows how to spin a good story. This one is a cracker. We are going on a quest. Her latest book, Wonderland, which is out now, um, is all about her year-long journey searching for what she describes as the magical in the landscape. And, And what she means by that is a kind of deeper connection to the outdoors and to our planet, something more akin to our indigenous ancestors' relationship with nature than our stressed out modern selves. It's a beautiful book. It's an inspiring book. And it starts with her high on a mountaintop in the Pyrenees in the pitch black of night without a soul around. She'd been up there for days with just water, no food, no phone, no connection of any kind. She was on a a kind of modern day vision quest all alone on the top of this mountain. And then suddenly, out of the darkness, she hears a voice. And that voice changed her life. And we're going to hear all about it. But first, and super quickly, please remember, if you are enjoying this show, uh, please subscribe. Please leave a review. Tell a friend. We are building a community of people that love exploring, that love the outdoors, and want to celebrate this incredible planet by immersing themselves in every inch of it. And when you help spread the word... You help spread that message of positivity and connection with the outdoors and you help this community grow. Thank you so much for anything you can do. Please also connect with me on social media. I put up lots of behind the scenes travel content. I put up some writing and photography of mine and lots of other adventure inspiration. The Facebook is at Armchair Explorer Podcast and my Instagram is at Aaron M. Writer. You can also sign up for the newsletter at armchair-explorer.com where I send out a monthly curated list of the best travel podcast episodes to listen to that month, the best adventure travel trips coming up to dream about and do, as well as general inspiration to get more exploration in your life. And remember, you can book any of these trips we talk about on any episode through the website. And when you do that, you also help support the show. Finally, we have got a special offer exclusively for listeners of the Armchair Explorer. Ginny's book is called Wonderland. It's a really lovely read. It's a beautiful read. Uh, It's an inspiring book. And after listening to this episode, if you're inspired to hear the full story, uh, I recommend that you go out and grab it. And I have a code for you to get a discount to do that. Go to bloomsbury.com forward slash Wonderland. And if you enter the code Wonderland3030, you'll get 30% off the usual price. It's a great deal. It's a great book. And I hope you do it. But for now, back to that mountaintop, back to that middle of the night and back to that voice whispering in Ginny's ear. 
But first, let's set the scene. When I was in my 20s, I left my job. I had a publishing job in London. And my first solo trip, my first big adventure was uh, to travel to Nepal. And when I went to Nepal, my initial plan was to volunteer. But that fell through when I arrived. So I consulted my oracle, which was the, I think it was one of the guidebooks, the Lonely Planet or the Rough Guide. And I decided I was going to trek the Annapurna circuit, which is a 21-day trek, but I had never uh, done any hiking before. That is brilliant. The Annapurna circuit is a huge undertaking. Even if you're a regular hiker, it's 128 miles long. It's at elevation. It's in the Himalayas, for goodness sake. To jump straight into that without any hiking or outdoor experience whatsoever is like lining up at the start of the London Marathon before you've even jogged to 5K. But actually, it's lucky that Ginny did do that because that trip changed her life. So that was my first, my first big experience of, of the wild, I guess, really major experience because that was 21 days of hiking and crossing a high mountain pass um, of 5,500 meters, which was extreme, extremely tough. And I also didn't have a very, very good kit. Um, my rucksack was something I'd picked up in the market and it broke on the second day. So I, it was held together by safety pins. But I made it and, it, it and it changed me forever. It changed me. You can't do something that intense and not feel changed. I was learning as I went along that I'm far more resilient than I thought I was. So that was Ginny's first proper taste of the wild. A little background on her too. She's British by birth, Indian by descent, Canadian by upbringing and South African through her parents' birthplace. So she's moved around a lot and travel has always been a part of her life. And because of that, She'd always been fascinated by this idea of the other, the idea of belonging. She always felt like something of an outsider. And that idea is going to come back and frame what part of this journey and part of her book is all about. And we're going to come back to that. But, but for right now, she's just left Annapurna. The experience changed her life and, and it changed her sense of who she was and what she could become. And what she ended up becoming was a travel writer and her work for a large part explored indigenous cultures and indigenous perspectives. And that's when the magic really started to blossom. More and more I'd have opportunities to meet people from indigenous cultures and it always struck me that it was quite extraordinary and magical the way for these people that I met, the way it was perfectly natural for them to have a deep relationship with the the forces of nature, with that it was perfectly natural for them to speak to the, the sky or the earth or the wind or the birds. And I found that incredibly beautiful and poetic, the, the way that you can have a relationship with nature that's, that's reciprocal. Yeah, it's a really interesting point, isn't it? For 99% of the history of humankind, we had a completely different perspective and different relationship to the natural world. It's only in the last few hundred years, a blink in the lifespan of our evolution, that human beings have started seeing themselves as separate from the planet. And that modern way of thinking has distanced us and disconnected us from the natural world. And it's that ancient wisdom, that connection, that mystery that she's looking for. And I also want to share an interesting story about this idea too, because... A few years ago, I was walking the Kumano Koda, which is an ancient pilgrimage route through the key mountains of Japan. 
And I'm going to do an episode about it, I hope, one of these days. It's an amazing hike, an incredible experience. Um, so this is the home of Shigendo. And Shigendo is this ancient religion that fuses Japanese Shintoism or nature worship with Buddhism. And it holds that enlightenment is attained through immersion in the natural world. I know. Awesome, right? So while I was there, I met a Shigendo monk. His name was Ryo Takagi. It was one of the most amazing and profound uh, conversations of my life. And I asked him about this, about how, how he attains enlightenment through immersion in the natural world. And he said the same thing as Ginny. He said that enlightenment is already there all around us at every moment. We just need to make space in our hearts to feel it. And it was that quest to make that space, to feel that connection, where this whole journey begins. Ginny picks up the story now in the Pyrenees, just about to start her five-day lone wilderness vigil, her vision quest, and just about to have an experience that would shake her to the core. I found myself on a mountaintop in the Pyrenees. I was alone with my tent. I had no food except for an apple and some nuts and nine bottles of water. And I was really there to fast for four nights and five days and to go inward on a kind of vision quest. Um, I was also carrying a lot of emotional upset, so I wanted to let go of that. And I think it's, it's harder to access the deeper uh, current of your emotion when you're surrounded by distraction. So that's why I'd gone away as well. And I was eager to peel away the layers, to reconnect with myself in the raw and in the wild. But I also had this yearning to hear nature's voice, whatever I meant by that. And I wasn't even entirely sure myself. So what do we mean by a vision quest? Um, The practice was really common for native people of North and South America, and it varied from tribe to tribe. But sometimes it was a rite of passage. Sometimes it was a religious ritual. But usually what it involved was going out alone into the wilderness for a number of days without food or water and just praying or communing with the natural world or the spirits around them in order to ask for guidance. And you can still do this today. Many indigenous people still do it, of course, as part of their culture. But it's possible to go on your own modern kind of vision quest too, based on those same indigenous principles of connecting with nature and asking for guidance through a period of disconnecting yourself from the outside world. And there are various companies that offer this, and I'll put the one that Ginny used and some other recommendations on the website and show notes. As you do have to be careful, it's obviously never advisable to go into the wilderness without food or water unless you have support, backup, and you know what you're doing. So Ginny went in very much with that indigenous mindset of wanting to connect with the wilderness, of wanting some kind of guidance and insight from the experience and wanting to hear nature's voice. She just didn't think it would be quite as literal as that. So I was hiking up with my guide, um, and he was a Basque shaman who I'd spent several days with preparing myself for the for this time. So he walked me up there. And my, my I remember it as a, a quite a challenging hike, and initially through this very intensely mossy green forest, and it was alive with streams burbling down the mountainside and I remember en route we'd stop to make offerings to nature spirits these beings that I couldn't see Um, so it felt quite enchanted as well and then eventually he pointed to this peak um, with a flat top 
and incredible views of the valley below. And he said he declared that this was the spot that would be just right for me, and that I was going to I was to pitch my tent there. And uh, you know, the minute I pitched my tent, he kind of waved and said, "Bye, see you down the mountain in five days." And by the way, the Yeti lives there. What? Yeah, thank, thanks a lot, mate. Nice parting words and nice choice of campsite, by the way, too. Isn't there anywhere else we can go that's not next to where the Yeti lives? But, you know, actually, it's easy to make fun, but the Yeti is a uh, tradition that appears in many, many cultures around the world and across history, from the Himalayas all the way to the Aboriginal Australians. Pretty much every culture in the world, surprisingly, has some kind of Yeti story, including, of course, our very own Bigfoot. Uh, which, by the way, something like 25% of all Americans believe in, just saying. And whether it's real or not, it's a huge part of human mythology and it's evident in all these cultures around the world and across history too. So whether or not it's a real-life monster, I'll leave that to you. I don't know. But what it is for definite is a real-life shadow in our own collective psyche. It's a myth. It's a legend that has pervaded human history forever. So whether you believe in it or not, it's definitely not what you want to hear when you're up a mountain all alone. And I had no phone, you know, I had no watch. So he had no way, I had no way of of contacting him. It was, you know, we'd been walking for two hours up the mountain and it was a two hour drive from his farmhouse and there was nobody else there, just me. So it really was an, an act of surrender and an act of trust and an act of faith. And I was really relying on myself and then on the nature around me to hold me and to keep me safe. Initially, I was so grateful to finally been there, be there because I'd wanted to go there for so long and to have this experience that I just started sobbing with relief and with exhilaration. I just so wanted to be there and I so wanted to have that experience and that feeling lasted until nightfall exactly because it's one thing to be alone on a mountaintop yeti or not in the bright sunshine it's another thing entirely when the sun goes down but what happened next even in Ginny's most paranoid furtive imagination of shadows in the dark she could never have expected and then it got a bit scary and then I I you know I started to to wonder about that forest on the other side of me. And then just as I was about to fall asleep, I heard a voice on the other side of the tent. It felt like it was in my ear, exactly where my ear was on the other side of the tent. And at this point, everything around me went very quiet. The forest went very still. The birds stopped chirping. The cricket stopped. And a a chill kind of went up my back and there was this voice on the other side of the tent and it sounded like a human would sound only there were no humans around and I was terrified absolutely terrified and I don't know if you've ever been truly terrified and I don't know that I had ever truly been terrified before but it was like this shower of fear flooded my body and I didn't know what to do and the first thing that came to mind was to grab a talisman very quietly this talisman that I'd kept in a pocket of my tent and so I I held on to this talisman very quietly back and forth I rocked and under the under my breath I said I come in peace I come in peace Um, and then eventually the voice stopped and everything started up again the night sounds started up again 
I'm convinced it wasn't a figment of my imagination. I mean, it sounds crazy to even say these things, but I do know that something beyond my normal field of perception made its presence known and altered my own trajectory. This episode of Armchair Explorer is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. And Pathfinder, that's a pretty cool name, isn't it? Because that's also what this show is all about. Exploring, getting off trail, having adventures, finding your own path and living life to the fullest. Sound like you? Yep, sounds like me too. Which is why I'm so excited to partner with Nissan. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has seven drive modes, available intelligent 4x4. It's got the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds. So go ahead and bring all that gear with you and lots more. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder, a vehicle built for adventures everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. It did alter her trajectory forever and it led to her book, Wonderland, because it was that single inexplicable transformative experience, that moment of magic that inspired her to search for magic in the landscape elsewhere. And we're going to go on some of that journey with her. But first, I just want to say, there will be people listening to this right now that are skeptical. Of course, that's understandable. It's a crazy experience and it would be crazy not to be just a little bit skeptical too. But it would also be very easy just to write it off as a hallucination or a dream. It might have been, you can't deny that. But what I'd ask for you is just for a minute, Suspend that disbelief. Just for a minute, park that rational part of your brain to one side and take it as truth. What if she really did hear something? What if, like those indigenous beliefs that inspired her, she did perceive something beyond the ordinary, beyond the rational, beyond our normal, narrow field of view? What if something really did speak to her that night? Well, I, I woke up in the morning and, you know, kind of gingerly opened my tent and the sun was shining and I felt fantastic and relieved that it was daylight. And then I looked at that forest and I kept looking at that forest and I thought, I do not want to go anywhere near that forest. And then at night, you know, I kind of battened down the hatches and I was like, okay, whatever it is, I'm ready for you <laughs> this time. But nothing happened. Nothing happened. It was okay. And then I woke up the next day and I looked at the forest again. And then the third day I woke up and I looked at the forest again. I thought, I can't keep on being afraid of this forest. You know, I have to go there. I have to see what's in this forest. I have to be brave enough to do this. I can't just sit here and, and, and not enter the forest. If the Yeti lives in the forest or whoever lives in the forest or my fear is being projected into the forest, I need to face it. And I was absolutely terrified walking into this forest. It was really dark and really still. And I sat down and uh, unbelievably, 
a few moments later, I saw this dark shadow and I, I, my heart just leapt into my mouth and I thought, oh my God, I can't believe this. What is happening? And then the shadow moved and it was a horse. Yeah, sorry. This isn't an episode about sighting Bigfoot. I wish it was. I feel like I've let you down. That would be very cool. It was just a horse. But the memory of that voice stayed with her and her time up there on the mountain, her vision quest did provide the guidance and the insights she was looking for. To this day, I can remember, I can remember whole, whole moments exactly as they were at the time because there was no distraction. I mean, we very rarely have that opportunity to be on our own without any kind of distraction, without food, without books, without stimulus, without other people. And so what do you do when you don't have that distraction? You're forced to be with yourself and to be with whatever is going on inside you. You're forced to be with your emotions. And at the same time, because you're so close to nature, you kind of attune to nature, nature's rhythms, and you you lose that veneer of what we call civilization quite quickly. So up on the Pyrenees by day two, I'd taken off all my clothes. It was really hot anyway. But I thought, why am I wearing a swimsuit? There's nobody up here to see me. Um, so I went, I went feral quite quickly, you know. Feral is such a delicious word. The definition of it is to be in a wild state, especially after escape from captivity or domestication. Yes, yes, that's what it feels like. That wild state after we've escaped from our own captivity and domestication of ourselves. That's what it is to be out in the wilderness. And I'm sure that you can relate to this many times backpacking or camping i've got to about day three or four and just felt a weight drop it feels like taking off a heavy coat that you didn't know you had on or or that moment that you put down a backpack you've had on all day on the trail and just feel like you're about to float off the the relief is incredible with no one around to see you or judge you with no distractions or things to do that layer of civilization that mask falls away and what it reveals can teach you a lot about yourself it's extraordinary it's extraordinary and i remember one one morning i was upset uh, some upset feeling of 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 you know emotion coming out of me and i i just kind of pounded my fists on the ground and i was naked and i thought oh my god it's only taken two days and look at me um and it was incredibly liberating as well um and i and and i began to feel I didn't. I stopped feeling that the nature around me was something separate from me, and that was a gradual thing. And I began to feel that I was a part of it, that I was a part of the nature around me, not an observer. I mean, we might know that in our heads, but at that moment, I felt it in my being. And that's just the truth, isn't it? Ginny writes in the book, "When I am stripped of company and creature comforts, and the din in my head is quelled." There are fleeting moments when a kind of grace descends and the edges blur between myself and nature out there. And it's so true. We see ourselves as separate from nature. That's the modern way of thinking. But fundamentally, at the most basic level, that's an illusion. Think about it. 
We can't survive without the air we breathe, and the air we breathe at its most basic level is molecules that fuse together with other molecules in our body to keep us alive. And at that point of integration, they're not separate from us. The air and our body are all one thing. And it's the same with food and water. This isn't a belief, it's actual science. And even further than that, on a quantum level, everything in the universe is just particles vibrating and interacting. There is no solid matter as we perceive it at the most basic atomic level. There is only energy. And that energy is supplied and provided by the earth. And every living thing on it depends and is connected by it and is part of this intricate and inseparable system. It's all one thing and we are part of that living system those five days and nights they left me feeling profoundly calm profoundly refreshed freer emotionally and curious and my desire to connect with the wildness we can't see just grew by leaps and bounds until i was practically bursting at the seams and the idea was that i i wanted to set off on this search for the magical in the landscape in Britain. And by that I mean I wanted to commune with the land in a way less ordinary. I wanted to connect with the inner spiritual dimension of, of nature. We live in a rational world and I was interested in connecting in a way that had everything to do with intuition and, and an inner sense of knowing and ideas that have nothing to do with the rational. So um, rather than plotting a journey using a map and a compass, I wondered what might happen if I um, set off and used you know, my internal compass. And my, my focus was on wonder, on, on feeling. It wasn't on, on, on proof. And it wasn't a, a kind of journeying from A to B. It wasn't that kind of journey. It was much more fueled by... I say by synchronicity and by love and by serendipity. But as well as exploring the other in the land, I found I was also exploring uh, my own feelings of otherness. So there was kind of a parallel journey going on. And that's one of the things that makes this book really interesting for me. Because of her upbringing, because of the colour of her skin and where she was raised and feeling different, feeling like an outsider, that as she was on this physical journey around the country to find another side of nature that we don't often see, another way of perceiving it, she was also on a journey to discover another side of herself, a side that she too had kept hidden, and that maybe by connecting with this unseen part of the natural world, she could make those hidden parts of herself visible and accepted and honoured too. It wasn't a traditional journey, but it was an amazing one. She found a labyrinth that looked out across the sea. She stayed with a woman of the old ways and a whisper of trees. She found secret land art and an oracle, and she crawled into a cave said to house the magic of Merlin and King Arthur himself. So if you want to hear that story, of course, read the book, read Wonderland. That's the best way. But I just want to zoom in on a couple of highlights from it too. Starting with, of course, a treasure map and a lost spring. Well, with the Lost Spring, uh, initially I was gifted with a, a treasure map. Somebody gave me a treasure map. 
and it was you know just like an old-fashioned treasure map and it said things like here be dragons and it was created by somebody by a man um who had uh discovered this this sacred springs so i set off one day with a with a with a very good friend um but no matter what we did we couldn't find the spring and i was quite frustrated and then i thought well maybe i was meant to go and discover it on my own so i went back one more time and i followed the the map to a t this time didn't deviate in any way and instantly things i'd i'd spent hour we'd spent hours looking for the last time would appear instantly uh, you know a path would unfold uh, a, a tree i'd been looking for was right there so it was it was a question of timing and nobody in the area you know i'd asked dog walkers where this place was and they looked at me like i was crazy eventually this magical place presented itself to me i walked uh on this narrow path and i found the springs and it just felt it felt extraordinary i mean it was hidden away the only people who knew it were, was there were the people who had access to the map so there was that element of of secrecy and of specialness around it i guess uh and i'm not somebody who is a natural born skinny dipper but i i just really felt the overwhelming urge to jump into that water and i did and i felt cleansed and rebooted afterwards but it wasn't enough so i took my clothes off again and i jumped in again the whole thing felt magical it's the conjuring is in the uh, for me it's in the setting of the intention and when you do that you kind of unleash something you set something in motion and something hears you and helps you along I love that. This is a public park by the way. There are dog walkers in all sorts around and she went skinny dipping. That's dedication. I'm impressed. But even better than that is the fact that she got out the first time and thought, "Hold on, you know what? I I don't think I've had enough magic yet." And then she just jumped back in. I think that's brilliant. But what I also love is this idea that you conjure the magic. The magic in the landscape is made real by you being an active part of that landscape that it's not enough just to hope for it that it comes when you jump in and make it happen just like those shigendo monks and that is what real exploration is all about so that's what jinny's doing when she's setting an intention to be aware of the magic in the landscape and an intention is different from a goal a goal is something that we have to achieve and it's an external thing and intention is about our state of mind how we go through the world and that's powerful because how we see the world is what the world gives to us in return even a temple on the middle of a scottish island that most people think doesn't even exist so i decided to go to iona in scotland and i decided to put my money where my mouth was so to speak and i thought um I would go there without any kind of plan but I would ask I would set an intention to ask the land to guide me and to show me what I needed to see it's a long journey from London and it involves a uh, plane train bus ferry and another ferry so it's quite a big deal to set off on a trip like that and have no no plan whatsoever and on the train up i received an email and it was from uh, a professor who i'd met uh briefly and he said oh you're going to iona if you're looking to connect with the magical in the land 
there's a, a temple in the landscape and ask yourself a temple in in what dimension and he gave me the name of this temple and it was it was kind of like a, a cryptic clue I guess I saw that and I thought that's it that's my mission Okay, a little background on Iona here to this tiny island on the west coast of Scotland. It's only about three miles long. It's very remote. Only about 120 people live here full time. It's been renowned as a kind of holy and spiritual place for centuries. It's filled with old Celtic and Viking myths. Macbeth was supposedly buried here along with numerous other saints and Scottish kings. So it's a really special place. It's a really sacred place for many people. And it reminds me of this old Celtic saying. Uh, The saying goes, heaven and earth are only three feet apart, but in the thin places, that distance is even shorter. Iona is one of those thin places. I basically spent the first few days trying to find this, this land temple, this mystical land temple. You know, a lot of people said, no, this thing doesn't exist. It's in your mind. And so I felt a bit silly. And so I was getting a bit fed up. I'd been there for four days and nothing was happening. And I thought, I'm on this beautiful island. Why don't I just forget this, put it aside and just, you know, explore the island. And then on the last day, I walked into a cafe and I just happened to spot somebody I'd met three years ago in another part of Scotland. And so I went up and I started talking to her and I told her what I'd what I was doing there and she said well why don't we look for this this land temple together and we left the cafe and as we left the cafe she bumped into somebody that she she knew that she hadn't seen in a couple of years and we asked this woman where she was going and she said she was going to the temple and she named it by name and I just thought that was extraordinary the chain of events that led me to that moment But, you know, if I hadn't gone into the cafe, if I hadn't met that woman, if she hadn't said she'd come with me, if we hadn't bumped into her friend, you know, it was just this synchronicity. And I found that extraordinary. So so when we walk there, we walk through these fields and uh, it was kind of like entering this really beautiful valley. And I had a sense that not many people enter into this valley and it seemed so completely at ease with itself. Like it had never had to defend itself. It had never been at any kind of risk. It was it was just exquisitely peaceful. And I think when we were there, this bird of prey just started wheeling around us in the sky and it was like a kind of welcome to this space. And we walked further and further into this valley and I thought, you know, how will I know where this temple is? But luckily we were with this woman who knew and she knew a lot about about the island. And she said that this temple was one of the island's chakras or energy centers. So there are people who believe that the island of Iona is made up of energy centers, like the chakras on the body. And that the this this particular temple corresponded with the throat chakra and the throat is all about communication. So we went, we climbed up and up and up, up this hill to a particular spot and, and we lay there and, you know, we'd arrived at this place. I felt immensely peaceful. And later, much later, um, I emailed the professor and I said, you're not going to believe this. I found the, the land temple and I explained how I'd found it. And he said, well, I sent you there because I knew it corresponded with the throat chakra and I know you're a writer 
and I thought it might help you. And I also know that if the land didn't want you to find the temple, you wouldn't have found it. Synchronicity is extraordinary. It happens all the time. I'm sure many of you listening will have stories of things just connecting and happening in a way that seems like fate. But a lot of time it's not fate in the sense of some external written destiny. It's what happens when you set your mind right, when you set your intentions and you keep your eyes open and you have a little faith that the universe will see you right. Or to put it another way, it's feel the dreams, isn't it? If you build it, they will come. Or in this case, a temple will appear. So Ginny had lots of experiences in this unique journey of hers of synchronicity, of timing, of serendipity, of understanding how intuition can guide you and lead you to another way of experiencing the world, a subtle way, but a profound way too if you're open to it. So I asked her how that journey changed her, what she had learned along the way. And this is what she said, and I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, the, the idea that you put yourself, I suppose I felt after the book, I realized I'd put my truest self into a kind of self-imposed exile. And then after going on this journey, those parts of myself were able to surface, you know, I'd, I'd been so cowed by culture and society and feelings of not belonging because of the color of my skin and my own anxiety. You know, I suppose unconsciously I'd wanted to retrieve those parts of myself and I, I guess I felt I did in some way. It left me feeling, on a personal level, it left me feeling that I'm not alone, um, that I'm supported by the universe. It's nice to know that if I can get into that space that those things have the opportunity to present themselves. And that magical feeling is so nourishing, deeply nourishing and sustaining. And I think we, we are so hungry for that in the world that we live in. Um, and I think it's really important to value these things and to give time for them. Yeah, well said, Ginny. We are hungry for that magic, that wonder. And we deserve it too, all of us because life is meant to be richer and more amazing and fulfilling than just clambering up the career ladder or clawing at the office door. And it can be when we listen, when we dare to be truly alive. So right at the end, I asked Ginny for some tips on how we can do this too, how we can take our own journeys into Wonderland. And this is what she said. So initially you have to have the intention, the sincerity of your intention too is plays a big part. If you're taking the piss, nothing's going to happen. Um, you also have to be patient, and intention's not the same as exerting your will or or pleading or expecting any kind of result. You need to let go of an attachment to any kind of outcome, and you have to stay with that feeling of intention of trust and just be a very humble, heart-centered student of of mystery and wonder. And you also have to accept that things aren't going to happen instantly when you invite in the other and you feel this magical connection through synchronistic encounters, through unexpected and thrilling happenings. Um, the feelings of wonder are, are the reward, but it takes time. It's about being present and you can create that intention anywhere. It doesn't matter where you are, whether you're in an urban setting or a wild setting, you could set the intention to invite magic in and it's about expanding your field of perception as well because we're so wedded to the rational we forget that there's so much else going on beyond beyond that i was putting this into practice 
And it was it was really fascinating when you put something like this into practice and things do happen. And then you say to yourself, oh, my God, it's real. It, it works. Thank you so much, Ginny. Thank you for that incredible story, that inspiring story. And remember, if you're interested in buying the book, it's called Wonderland and you can get 30% off at bloomsbury.com forward slash Wonderland with the code Wonderland30. I will put all those details on the website and on the show notes in case you want to check it out. Please also uh, check out Ginny on Twitter at Ginny underscore ready. That is J-I-N-I underscore R-E-D-D-Y. And on Instagram at Ginny ready 20. Again, I'll put all of this up on the show notes for you. Remember, you can book trips inspired by Ginny's journey and all our other episodes at armchair-explorer.com. And remember to connect on social media too, if you can. I'd love to hang out. And if you love travel and adventure, we're going to get on well. Finally, I just want to give a huge shout out to my man, Ali Nisbet, Alistair Nisbet out of St. Louis, Missouri, via Aberdeen, Scotland. He's composed all the original music today, and I'm sure you'll agree it's really absolutely beautiful and added to this episode so much i really appreciate his work he's an amazing composer and musician and it's always an honor to work with him i'll put all his details up on the show notes and i urge you to check his stuff out thank you so much for listening thank you for spreading the word and spreading some of that positivity and magic in the world because the more we look for magic the more that magic becomes a part of who we are thank you i will see you next time